0: Is the bloody disgusting podcast network?
1: It's time to finish
0: what I started.
1: How are you gonna do that?
0: You ready? Boils and ghouls, lock your doors and strap yourselves in From Los Angeles, California Bloody Disgusting presents The Boo Crew Podcast Horror news, commentary, reviews, interviews, and more With your hosts,
2: Lauren and Trevor Shand And Leone D'Antonio Hello, what's going on? I'm Trevor And on behalf of myself, Lauren and Leo Welcome to the Boo Crew Podcast, episode 282 This time around, you are joined by multi-award-winning actor and director Darby Stanchfield, one of the stars of Netflix's extraordinary Lock and Key. At time of release, hear all about the fun and mystery that awaits you In Season 2, as the series continues to lean into its awesome horror undertones and darkness, explore the astonishing Key House, a behind-the-scenes look at the magic behind the effects, and get excited for the newly announced Season 3 filmed back-to-back. Get to know the incredible person behind Nina Locke and the journey of bringing her to life with the support of a truly special cast that makes this show so unique and whimsical. We love it that house is just oh my god we want to live there right now you're about to turn the key to unlock episode 282 with darby stanchfield right now
1: my husband died last year and i moved my kids to the house where he grew up the kids they are doing great but i can't move on from things that still make no sense to me would tell me, wouldn't you, if there was something going on? Just because we figured out a few of the keys,
2: we think we know everything.
0: We don't know everything, but we know that Dodge is gone.
1: Why would you turn into someone like Gabe? Because no one's gonna suspect him of being anything
3: more than a nerdy little kid who's fallen in love with Kinsey. Do you understand? Good.
4: Go
0: ahead, scream. That's all we need. Another victim crawls onto the gurney for a Boo Crew
2: autopsy. Joining Bloody Disgusting's Boo Crew via the Speakeasy studio is an exceptionally talented actor whose work is a cavalcade ...of the most evocative stories ever told in TV and film. Appearing in Ryan Murphy's Emmy-winning Nip Tuck, 24 Without a Trace, Bones... ...remarkable characters in projects that have really continued... To evolve televised narrative She's taken up residency in one of the world's Most popular soap operas in General Hospital CBS's Jericho And was a part of the cast of the 16-time Emmy-winning classic Mad Men As well as TV's most watched Scripted original series Burn Notice Her film work has been equally inspired Indie Sundance smashes Waitress and Mickey Keating's wonderful Horror thriller Carnage Park Among them. In 2017 She made her directorial debut with the Six-part digital series Gladiator or wanted and also step behind the camera for an episode of Scandal. The 35-time award-winning drama that she starred in for seven seasons that changed TV forever, daring to explore the subject of political power in America with a skeptic tone that spread into everything that's been seen after it and invented things like live cast tweeting and more. Then came Netflix's Lock and Key, based on the astounding comic book series created by Joe Hill and Gabriel Rodriguez. It is full of whimsy, family, mystery, magic, and a tangible darkness that makes it an incredibly unique unique journey that continues to spark all of our imaginations. Its second season just debuted. She plays a matriarch of the family, Nina Locke. We are honored to welcome the fascinating Darby Stanchfield. Yeah.
1: Okay. I have to let you know, I've listened to a bunch of your introductions <laughs> Oh wow! For, for talent and you never disappoint. That was right up there. I mean, I, I can't wait to meet this person. That is
2: so kind. Wow. Well, hey, thank you for taking some time out of your insane schedule to hang with us for a bit. And it is truly exciting to meet you. And congrats on season two as we barrel towards even more adventures in season three, which we've heard, which is amazing news all around.
1: Wrapped already.
2: Yeah, Yeah, right. That's insane. All right. Season two really leans into the horror elements of the story. Yeah. It does. which is also it, it, it's really fun as parents who are horror fans because our kids <laughs> who watch the first season with us right their palates have yeah. kind of grown along with the show so, sure. so right they're ready to take it yeah <laughs> exactly so <laughs> rewinding it back to the beginning for you what were the, what was the kind of gateway horror experiences that you had as a kid growing up as a viewer
1: oh boy um well, I, I'm a big scaredy cat. So I, I'm, you know, listen, when I was a little, little kid, I saw the uh, Nightmare on Elm Street movies with Freddy Krueger and I couldn't get out of bed for months. <laughs> couldn't, I mean, at night, you know, I'd have to go to the bathroom. I just couldn't, I couldn't put my feet on the ground. He Freddy Krueger lived under my bed with those knives and he was going to cut my feet off. So, uh, That scared me so bad. I've been like pretty light since (laughs) I will. I will tend more towards the psychological thriller. In fact, the movie, the horror film, I was in Carnage Park that went to Sundance. I've never seen it. Are you serious? (laughs) No, No. I read the script and I'm a friend with one of the producers and he offered me a role. And I said, yeah, great, cool. But I don't know that I'll watch, (laughs) watch the film. Yeah. wow
2: i was gonna ask because that's all like the glass eye picks people those are indie horror royalty like larry fessington and pat healy and mickey and all those people <laughs> that's hilarious well that said what do you like about performing in that space though
1: oh well it's um lock and key is a special one and um i mean carnage park was just fun we shot you know out in the desert in California and there are a bunch of great guys, Mickey Keating and Eric Fleischman. And, um, that was just a ball of fun. I mean, I have a giant imagination, so, you know, the circumstances are always heightened, so it's just gritty and fun to get into. I think I was covered in blood at one point in that film. So, you know, what's, what's not to love there, but with lock and key, it's, you know, it's definitely, Season one was more fantastical. It's more of a fantasy magic. Very, very light on the horror, as you, I'm sure, are aware. Um, Joe Hill and Gabriel Rodriguez, their graphic novels are heavy horror. And they're beautifully illustrated and told. And And when Netflix did this lock and key, they started off the tone quite a bit back from that. So it did build into season two. Um, you know, the kids get older and they're more savvy with these magical keys and the powers that they hold. And so the evil forces, the demons are a little more insidious. And, you know, it just all sort of explodes into like, a you know, it's dialed up to 11.
2: What made you originally just signing on to it? What, what made you passionate about the story? And then moving forward, the cast and how has that affected you not only as a performer, but as a person?
1: initially I just really liked the story of this family and I like how it's a it's a very unique world lock and key and that it's um you know it's like about this ordinary family but they they are they confront this you know when they move to Massachusetts to try to get over their their father's death um you know my husband's death it's they encounter keyhouse his ancestral home and the the world of the magic in this house and i like the opposition of the very ordinary normal family that's not savvy to any of this these elements this magic that there's like a whole universe that they don't know so i like the juxtaposition of that i also like that there's an adult storyline and then there's a storyline with the you know the ya the kids in school so that was cool as well it was just such a unique world and I've always wanted to do a sh- be in a show that was very sort of fantasy driven that would, that had a touch of horror. I'm a, you know, I, Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, all those movies are in shows. Um, you know, it was just sort of like a, on my checklist. So, so the genre was fun. And then moving on to the cast, um, it's a, it's an extraordinary cast. I mean, it's just a good group of human beings. I truly enjoy working with all of them. Some of them I work with more than others, obviously, but the three actors who play the lock kids, they're just fantastic human beings. And we found a really natural family chemistry and, you know, it was just, uh, I feel really lucky. It was just one of those experiences that has been, um, a joy to go to work every day. It's not always that way, but this one, you know, no politics, no divas, no, 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 just everybody was there to have fun. And I think the other thing that always struck me since season one is that um, all of the actors and I could say it for the writers and the creators as well, but the actors like showed up to play. There wasn't any, like they fully committed. And even the, you know, I was curious about like the younger actors on the show, like, Would they'd be sort of skeptical and eye rolling and on their phones. And they were they went for it and they they did their best. They dove into the, you know, the imaginary circumstances and were, you know, they just weren't as believable as they could be. And I loved playing with a bunch of people who had that level of commitment.
2: Yeah, you you sense that. Everything kind of is lit on fire when you watch us as a viewer and it feels it gives it like an extraordinarily unique and intimate yeah. feeling that is really hard to put a finger on, but you get you get this warm sense from from everything. And saying that, having filmed a third season now. Yes. Can you talk a bit about just the alchemy that grows between characters when you get to spend 30 or so hours wearing them. And that's just in our eyes, infinitely more in, in yours in the production process, how that gets imbued into the emotional process of these characters.
1: Well, I think the thing that was really unique about shooting season two and three, we shot them back to back Netflix, you know, we, we, they ordered uh, the first season, 10 episodes straight to, you know, they greenlit 10 episodes And before, I think it only, they'd been, I think uh, they had aired for a month on Netflix and Netflix immediately ordered a season two. And before they even saw any footage of season two, they ordered a season three. So, so, and, you know, coming from Netflix, they're not sentimental about shows. They like cancel them if they're, you know, if their numbers aren't happening. So um, we got to shoot two seasons back to back. We had a two-week hiatus between the two seasons. So it was really a year. We shot a year of lock and key in Toronto. And uh, during a pandemic, that's what the unusual part was. Um, In Canada, it was really way more locked down, I'd say, than the U.S. You know, I was getting, uh, you know, lots of news from home, from L.A., that everything had opened up and everybody had gotten their vaccines. And although that happened in Canada as well, it happened months later. So we we're really, really in a lockdown. We were quarantining our cast. Our production was in a bubble. Um,
2: so everything is even more intimate and close than yeah, ever before.
1: There's this feeling of like we were just all together all the time. And also, you know, with the hours, I mean, there were they because of the pandemic, um, we shot French hours, 10 and a half hour days. Sometimes it would turn into 11 or 12. But, you know, it was it was a little less than maybe before. But really. They were the only people that you we know, don't. My co-stars are the only people I saw <laughs> when I was there. There was no going out. There's no going outside the bubble. There's nothing open. And it was also freezing half the time, the weather. So you didn't you couldn't even go outside for a walk half the time because it was frigid in the in the fall and winter last year in Toronto. So there's a familiarity. Uh, there's an intimacy that you get working with actors that that intensely, you know, that many hours, that many days. And when people start to get homes, like one thing I think I feel like I bonded with, with these um, kids with the, with the, especially the law kids is like, you know, they had, some of them had parents there, but some of them didn't have all their parents or they had, didn't have a sister. One of them, you know, didn't have their partner there my husband, I didn't see him all year, so for five weeks out of the whole year. Wow. Yeah. So we all sort of bonded over this sort of homesickness for our families. there were so there were there were some ways that we connected that, you know, that was had to that was very that had very much to do with the pandemic and and how everybody deals in those isolated situations, too. I think, some people do puzzles, some people drink, some people, you know, have dance parties I and mean, we all sort of dealt with it a little bit differently. And, and then we come together, we make this show. And I know for me personally, I needed this creative process, um, during this time and I felt really emotionally connected to Nina Locke and this world. It was like I needed to go to work and I needed to connect with these people because it's really all I had. It's crazy how when I was sort of, you know, put in an isolated situation and m- away from my home and my own loved ones, how it just almost intensified the need to have a creative outlet and to, to put that energy somewhere. So, uh, you know, I'll never forget this last year. It was a really special time. Um, I think some really good work came out of it season three is crazy i can't say anything about it but it's you know it carried on from season two i mean it only builds it must be fun watching it with kids you said you watched it with your kids how old are your kids we
2: got four kids raging the gamut yeah raging the gamut in ages for sure like our our eldest i'm gonna test you oh jesus christ i knew this is coming (laughs) all
3: right how old are they
2: all right the youngest one there is four okay Then we got Jade, who is ah, born on Halloween.
3: She just had a birthday. Seven. (laughs) Yes.
2: Yeah. We've got Everett, who's nine. Yes. And we got Scarlett, who is in grade seven. So that's... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> See, 12 12 12 yes so that's that's a wide range
1: but you have a wide range and that's how this show is you know you got a little one exactly and, like older kids and then you have the parents so it's like a good show for a family because there's something for everybody
2: exactly no totally true so again, going back to the not to harp on the pandemic, but it's really interesting how that that it's coming out in the show as well. Is like it must have been interesting going from a world of a real world full of chaos to be able to construct this world in a bubble where everything is okay in in the sense the pandemic yeah. doesn't exist. It's, it's got its own you know rules and problems.
1: There is a tyranny there. Totally. I mean, I think I you know I think the actors. I think. The production felt really safe. You know, we didn't shut down once. We're one of the only productions in the business that didn't shut down. There were flare ups, you know, and, and, it, and it's, it's just a testament to how committed everybody was. I mean, there were so many of our crew members that I spoke to over the Canadian Thanksgiving, which is in like October. How was your Thanksgiving? I asked. And, you know, so many of them were like, oh, I didn't see my parents or, you know, my boyfriend and I stayed in or, you know, I was alone. I mean, I mean, everybody really did bubble. And I think that's why we're able to successfully keep shooting. And so what it did is it created a really safe feeling environment. I mean, you know, it felt like we were running the production like a surgeon's room because everybody, the crew, there were PPE and shields and anybody who touches us or touches props, they're in robes and gloves. And then there's this little world of like the Locke family and Matheson High, you know, and the demons. And we're all running around like nothing's going on, but behind the scenes. you know, everybody's really shielded up. Uh, But it, you know, we obviously tested a million times a week. So we, you, you know, whether it was like a love scene or a fight scene, you felt like you could just, okay, everybody's done their thing. You know, we're washing our hands, (laughs) you know, and, and there was a freedom I think in getting to sort of as an actor. I mean, I felt very privileged that I, could come to work and take my mask off because most of the crew and the writers and the director, even, you know, shield mask, that's tough to work in all those hours. So, but they made it safe for us and we were able to
3: just, yeah, pretend like there wasn't exactly playing your
2: imagination, right? Even more so than ever before.
3: What I love about Nina Locke is she's not this perfect mom, and many times I feel the pressure to be a perfect mom, and I'm definitely not. I'm, like, burning things left and right, (laughs) spilling things, forgetting about conferences, which I have to sign up for one. (laughs) Um, I would hey, know how old your kids are. I do. So. I do. And I know their birthday. And
2: so do I. And I proved it. So
3: <laughs> yes. um, what did what do you love about Nina and how she's written and what you get to bring to life? Exactly what you said. I love
1: that. She is not this perfect mom. I feel I mean, what I was interested in, and what I really wanted to create with with the beautiful writing and the story was a sense of her realness and that she was flawed and that she has a good. I love that she's got this good heart. She, of course, she puts her kids first. That's the most important thing. But she's just confronting being a single parent after her husband's murdered. And uh, I also love that she is. Um, you know, in the graphic novel, she's drinks the whole time. She's inebriate. She's an alcoholic. But in our show, she's a recovering alcoholic. So she's trying to stay sober through the hardest time of her life. And some of her, you know, some of her sobriety and the path to that, she had Rendell to sort of champion her along and he's gone and she's got to do it all on her own. And that... I. I love that that was established in season one when she does fall off the wagon and start drinking, but then it continues in season two. They don't just drop it. Like it's something that continues on. I like the integrity of that, that it's like a continuation of this character. I got to play that the whole time. And, you know, she's burning toast and all sorts of breakfast things in the first season. And you see her sort of progress, but you also see her struggle. I like that she, I, I, I love her heart and I like that she um, gets it right. And then she doesn't get it right. And she's pretty truthful with herself about it. Moms are underrated to play. I think she's a very, very interesting mother to play. I, I would do it again. I mean, it's just really rich, creative space.
2: As you can see behind us, the the aesthetic of, of lock and key is <laughs> right up our alley. It looks like, yeah, <laughs> <Right? Yes>. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, man, when we saw the very first episode, we were like, oh my god, this is this is home. This show is home for us. The Boo Crew will be
4: right back. We interrupt this program to bring you the following special announcement: the world's first horror head transplant has failed, and five brain donors have died in the experiment. <laughs> Now you can see it all at your local theater in Beast of Blood. And on the same show, Curse of the Vampires, both brand new in gory color. You'll see a mad fiend transplant human heads in the cave of horrors and encounter stunning, screaming, shocking terror as it lives. A monster's head detached from its body, causing savage and inhuman destruction. More fantastic than science, more shocking than fantasy, the creature without a head controlled by an insane artificial brain, Beast of Blood. Don't miss Beast of Blood and Curse of the Vampires, both rated GP.
2: got to ask you just about the aesthetic of walking into that set and all that goes into it how much of what we're seeing is really there is is it i'm I'm assuming the the exterior is kind of a shell and the interior is all built on a set does it stay up what is it like to be there
1: it is massive uh key house takes up two entire stages of um some some production stages in, in Toronto. And so just the kitchen alone, I mean, we went into, <laughs> when we, fir- when we first shot the pilot, we went in there with the director, Michael Morris, and I think Carlton Cuse was there as well. And we walked the first floor of Key House, which is in this one entire set. And we were all, it's great because it's the first time we just rehearsed the first time that we see Key House. And then we shot it right after we saw it. Oh, so it was really funny. We were all just like, are you kidding me? It's massive. And my prep work, before. I have to tell you something funny, my prep work before we started shooting and before I had seen the space, I had all of these choices that I had sort of written in the margins of like when I might touch a child or when I might, you know, just to have this sort of, I wanted a language of watching some mothers that i was modeling this after and how their body language is with their kid their kids and i really wanted to have that and as soon as i saw key house and we were going to shoot this scene in in the kitchen of key house which is massive i mean the kitchen table is like something out of game of thrones it seats like 40 people i was like oh i'm not touching one child they're going to be on one end of the kitchen and i'm going to be over by the stove i mean there's no (laughs) there's no sort of You know, Key House is a character of its own. Yeah. It has a formidable presence. And the detail, I wish you could see. There are KH for Key House carved into doorknobs and on the wood trims. There's stained glass windows that have dark little details of like a sailor falling out of the ship into the water. I mean, tiny details that the camera might never see, but we layers and layers and layers. There's wallpaper. There's tiles on the floor. They all have little keys in them. And then the exterior, it's like you said, it's a shell. And there are two levels that are built. And then if you've ever seen a behind the scenes picture of Lock and Key, you'll see there's a green strip at the top because they green screen a third floor and then a turret at the top. But the first two floors are massive. We took a picture of the cast uh, after we wrapped season three, near the end of season three, we took a a whole company picture out at the, at the, at Key House, at the exterior, there's like 200 people. And we're like ants in this truck. I mean, it's a, it's crazy how i enormous it is.
2: It's so interesting to hear you say that you almost had to like kind of retrain or adapt your performance to the actual structure itself. That's fascinating to me.
1: Yeah, it, it really, really did inform And with the action, I mean, it is a full athletic kind of experience as an actor tearing through the hallways, uh, especially for the kids. Listen, when they're doing all of these magic sequences, whether they're running from a giant spider or, you know, or battling with dodge, with the lightsabers, uh, these hallways and these rooms are massive. So everybody's getting a workout. (laughs) It's just, it's giant.
2: The prop department on the show continues to amaze in in season two and we get to see the spectacular dollhouse version of Key House and all these new keys. So tell us just about for anyone who's 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 on the fence or who's about to dive into season two, just some of the creations and keys that we'll get to wonder at as an audience together in season two.
1: Well, in season two, you uh, mentioned it. there is a doll size. I mean, it's a giant doll size house, but there's a giant. there's a doll size house replica of Key House that is actually owned by Nina Locke, my character's new love interest. He has this doll house and his daughter, who's Bodhi's age, uh, you know, she and Bodie sort of start to investigate it. And he ends up finding a little key and it's the small world key. And he they realize that it goes to this house and they, you know, they there's a there's a keyhole and they use it in the dollhouse and it comes to life. And so they can actually open the roof and look into key and actually see the lock family members in there. And um, they can put things in there. They can take things out. There's all sorts of chaos that can happen. And for a while, only those two know about it. And, you know, they're quite little on the show and mischievous and, <laughs> and the, And I will say, you know, to go along with that storyline, the special effects crew, department on our show, they're astonishing. I mean, they're given a really nice budget, but they really come through. So when you see a tiny little spider crawl into this dollhouse and then cut to real-life key house and the spider is, you know, the size of the skylight above the window, it's, it's
3: astonishing. It's really great stuff. Cinematic beautiful those keys are so incredible just the design of all of them did they let you keep yeah a jeweler they had a jeweler make these keys um you know i mean
1: gabriel Rigas, he designed these keys for for the comic book series he illustrated them and we kept our show kept really really close you know we kept it the same we used his designs but they they're really expensive. Um, they only would make a few. I mean, they had to make more than one just in case they got lost. But um, yes, I got to take a key. Yeah. Um, it's a key. I can't say it's, you oh, haven't okay. seen it yet. Three key. There are new keys in season three as well. But um, yeah, they, yeah, it's for, I mean, I think the showrunners, I think Carlton Cuse and Meredith Apple have the most keys. I think yeah. they took like a handful. Boy- no, they're like, they're amazing. They're like jewelry. Let me tell you, season one, I had key envy. I think I only got to like when Nina gets drunk, she gets the mending key. But I was just like, I don't want to give <laughs> <laughs> Oh
3: my gosh, I want that ghost key. Yeah,
2: the Amazing. ghost key is yeah. really really cool. So cool. And on season two, you get to play with the uh, the head key. Yes. How is that? How how do they do that effect?
1: So they have the head key with the with the key part on the end, and then. For special effects, they also made a replica of the key, but it's just like half the size of the key. So you just see the head with the little stem. And then and then what happens is, you know, anything with magic or sp- with special effects, it just takes hours and hours to shoot. So we have to shoot a version where one puts the real key back there so you can see that motion. But when they do the close-up, you take the smaller key and the makeup department puts a little... Like glues a little. It's almost like a plug, but it's just like a little thing that will hold the key, and then that, that shorter key goes in there, so it looks like a key is sticking. In oh, that's
2: neck. cool! That's so cool. <laughs> then, so there's,
1: very, there's very specific acting about turning it a quarter turn, a certain counterclockwise. I had to learn all that, of course. You know, once I was, once I got to to um, use that key, but. Yeah, it's, it's pretty cool the way they do that. And then they and then they sort of match. The, and then, you know, when you're in your head, you see a, there's a second one of your character that appears. So you're playing all of those. It's fun.
2: I love that there's a method to you got to turn it a certain way. And so it's like when I worked at Dairy Queen, you have to do the curl a certain way yeah same thing <laughs> no, it's the same thing Exactly. <laughs> how did they w- w- not to harp on effects with the effects in this show are so good but going back to season one in the mirror dimension oh, for you yes. was a mirror dimension a practical effect
1: okay first of all we sh- i mean you should talk to connor jessup who plays tyler and it uh, who saves Nina out of the mirror We spent weeks in this mirror sequence. We spent time in a, there were a lot of special effects, but there were also just a lot of different mirror setups. They built a hallway of mirrors that were like a a, two-way mirror where you could see through it. But I mean, yeah, so a long hallway with green screens on either end that I would walk, that we would walk through. There was the octagon-shaped mirror dome that was made I'm trying to remember, I think it's spun. No, no. We spun. But um, so we would get put into this octagon shape mirror dome thing. The cameras are on the outside shooting into it. And there was another one. There was like another sort of cage type thing that we did. But it was really fascinating because When you're in these mirror sequences, you can't, you don't have any depth. You know, it's all, you just see yourself like a million of yourself. So you get seasick. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Like I would actually have to focus on the ground between takes to get my bearings because you lose all sense of
2: like equilibrium or whatever. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's really weird. Yeah. Yeah. I felt like it was like a
3: psychological test they were doing on us to see if we could really, you know, if we were really up for this yeah. show. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. I can't imagine reading the script and trying to figure out in my head what that's going to look like when it's done. Yeah. Right. No, That was something that that's a good point.
1: Like, w- and and that carried all the way through all three seasons that we've shot. You know, we don't know what these things are going to look like. And what's so great is the director will get like a mock-up made. Like, you know, they'll have pre-production meetings with special effects and with the showrunners. And they all come up with, you know, a mock-up of what they want it to look like once it's gone through post. So those shows it video typically when we're rehearsing and say, this is sort of the idea or the show storyboards, but you're still not, you're not reacting to anything. You're, you know, there's a green screen or there's like a million mirrors and you don't ever really know. So uh, reminds me of theater in that way. And that you're, you know, there's a sort of fourth wall that you you don't you know you're imagining it and you're green screen. It's like a yeah, it's like theater, you know, you're sort of reacting off nothing.
2: <laughs> it's the best show ever. How about you as a director yourself who's done who's directed projects and, and a really kind of integral episode of, of Scandal that you directed as well. What would be your feelings of directing an episode of, of Lock and Key?
1: Well, I I thought about it. I never asked to direct. I didn't I didn't have a meeting with the showrunners about it because I really wanted to I really wanted to just focus on acting. Sure. Uh, from the beginning, from season one, I had a real gut instinct about that, about really wanting to just wear one hat and really uh, I think too, we didn't know what the world was. Mm-hmm. It was you know, uh, I don't know if you know, but Lock and Key had been made uh, into a pilot two other times. This was the third.
2: Yeah, I remember that.
1: It was in development, so they had really, really specific notes on what wasn't working or what they wanted to do this time. And I, I think just as coming on a new genre and a new show and a new, and really establishing a world that we really needed to get right this time, I, I thought you know, maybe if there were season four, five, six, seven, I would go into it, but it it felt really nice. And then quite honestly, when the pandemic hit, I just, and with all of the precautions that we had to take as actors, I didn't want to risk. I didn't want to, I just didn't want to, you know, that just would uh, give me more exposure, you know, unnecessarily on set. So I, I, I was happy to make that choice, but, you know, to direct something like lock and key, I mean, it's like, it's like a movie it's you know it's just and our directors did such a nice job you know it's just so such a big look isn't it you know all of the sequences and the beautiful camera moves and the cinematic feel of key house and the intimate moments with the family it's uh It's got everything.
2: I wanted to ask you about the, and you mentioned it uh, earlier, about the integration of uh, this new character, Josh Bennett, who we see, and what he awakens in Nina and what you enjoyed about that.
1: I like this storyline for Nina. Um, It was really interesting to sort of negotiate or navigate grief and then meeting someone new and the timing of that. And one thing I especially... That was helpful, and that I especially liked with that storyline is that he had lost his wife to a sudden death as well. So there was a shared grief that they had, and it was okay for you know it wasn't like Nina meets this guy and she forgets about Rendell. It's very much like they're able to meet each other in their grief and accept each other for it, and 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 are and connect over. It. I think that's. So much more interesting than you know okay one's over and one's begun it's it's messier it's more realistic um, Yeah, he comes in
2: hot that for when we first yeah. see him i don't know if i like uh, him when i first uh, see him
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh it's it's and he's great brendan hines he's a great actor he makes me laugh i had worked with him on scandal before he was uh, another character's love interest and in, by the time my character interacts with him, he's dead. And I roll him up in a rug. We're cleaning up that, you know, cleaning up the evidence. And so it was fun to, you know, actually get to be alive and say some words together.
2: There's so many poignant takeaways from the story of Lock and Key. There's the power of family. There's retaining and nurturing the magic and curiosity of childhood really being at its heart for us. What impact has the story left on you?
1: There is, that, there is something really, uh, I've thought about this a lot as we've, as we've worked on these seasons. Whether it's magic or it's, um, even if that's like a, you know, like a symbol for something like this. Um, oh, like this openness to other possibilities. I love that. And that totally speaks to the child in each of us actually chokes me up a bit. And I love, I think that's why I like genres like this, because it just, it's like, um, (laughs) life can be so incredibly (laughs) ordinary and limiting feeling, you know, when we get to be adults and we're paying mortgages and we're, you know, you're doing all the, you know, and so the idea of magic or there being something in outer space or, you know, that there's such thing as a miracle I mean these <laughs> these possibilities are just fun to entertain, and they sometimes can, you know, obviously in lock and key they lead to a bunch of danger, but there's also some beauty in it as well, and it really does speak to that sort of childlike play that we each have, and I think during to the pandemic I was reminded of that as well just just in my own challenges of being you know suddenly having to like we all did stay at home and isolate, you know, wanting to be more creative and wanting to be more sort of going back to my childhood in a way of like finding happiness or finding joy or finding possibility in a really dark time in a scary time that we all don't know as a, you know, as a race, as a humanity that we're, we're sort of navigating through and, So magic sometimes can be like comforting, the escape, or the possibility can be comforting. I'm kind of rambling, but... No, I mean, it's
2: completely, yeah. I mean, it it really, uh, through the pandemic, I think it really helped people elevate or or kind of magnify what's really important, you know? Yeah. Being the magic and love and and family and all those things, you know? And I think it's all stuff that's imbued into the heart of the story of Lock and Key. So it kind of goes hand in hand, I think.
1: Yeah, something our creators, Meredith Avril and Carlton Q, said at the very beginning of this, at, we did a table read at the pilot, and one of the things they've said that I'll never forget is, at the heart of this show, it's magic, it's fantasy, it's, you know, there's going to be scary horror, but at the center of it is this family, and and um, there's a heart to this show. So, you said it, you know, you if you really, you don't lose sight that that's there as well as all the other, and I love that about the show. It's special,
2: as do we, as do yeah, we. Definitely. So, moving forward, what what are you working on right now? What irons are in the fire for you?
1: <laughs> the irons in the fire is being home right now. That's great. Um, like I said, I hadn't seen my husband for more than five weeks in a year, and I am enjoying <laughs> life. Yeah, being friends, family, life, being in a, in the same city as well as you know the same house and you know enjoying meals together and that sort of thing so i i'm i'm enjoying some time off and i i i hope to keep it that way for a little while i it was quite a year (laughs) yeah
2: do you have any like ritual that you do to to watch the show do you do you sit around and, and go through episode by episode do you binge it do you stay away from it what do you do at this point
1: Um for lock and key for both the first and the second season, um, I was I was given access to it early uh simply because for both seasons I did a pretty heavy amount of press right when it launches. And so I was able to, you know, get an early look at the final product. So as I went and um publicized the show, talk about the show, I sort of know what you know what they went with editing-wise and sort of how it turned out, the tone and and both times I watched it um, like pretty, pretty quickly. It like a couple of nights, not one sitting, but two, three nights by myself, uh, except my husband could join, but I wouldn't let him really. I was like, well, don't say all that. let just kind of watch it and talk after. I just wanted to. And then, and then after it's like, you know, I have family and friends who like want to watch stuff together and that's great. But I wanted one first look. To just really take in everybody's work and the, all of the work that goes into it, you know, it's such a such a big, it's such a collaborative effort. It's fun to really get to see everybody's touch on it, and um, so I try to do one pass at it, just really not like tweeting,
2: <laughs> just kind of consuming it. Yeah, do you miss not having that in your life at this moment in that way?
1: yeah, it's just kind of hit me that we're like, uh, it seems like every time I, in the last year that I've seen my husband, it's for like a week or two and then I'm going back. And so I think I've been here now a few weeks and (laughs) it's just hitting me that we're done for a bit or who knows how long. And, um, I, I love this job. I love these actors. Um, I'd be lying if I didn't say that I didn't miss, I miss it. I mean, I I just love that world and this job. And um, all three seasons were just so strong and such positive experience for me. And I think everybody, but it's not, I'm grateful. I'm just grateful for what we've done so far. And um, I miss it, but not in like a all consume. you know, I just think fondly of it. Yeah.
3: Oh, I, right. I miss the set and I've never even been there. <laughs> i want like to sign like start a petition that like whenever it's done filming like they let people go into the sets i know i was so
1: happy after season one i found out like kind of secretively uh you know through the top secret you know executive producer chain that they were not taking down key house in the stages after season one. And we hadn't officially gotten picked up for season two, but I was like, come on, we, this is a good chance that we're going to get picked up because it's taking up the entire building. So if they're not taking it down, you know, I don't know what's going on with it right now, but I am with you tours yes I'll well, house
2: it oh it'd be amazing
3: I'll <laughs> <laughs> we'll move the kids out there
4: oh. alright well Darby yeah.
2: w- w- thank you so you've been so generous with yeah. your time I thank know we've you. gone over we just love talking to you so much it's been an absolute delight and uh, we cannot wait to see what season three has in store for us <laughs> and beyond that and, and to talk to you again once uh once the, you're able to discuss season three in more detail we yep. are really looking forward to it and again thank you so much for hanging out out with us and spend a time with us sure thank
1: you
2: it's been fun. that was the boot crew podcast episode 282 special thanks to our guest darby stanchfield follow her at Darby S. Official on Instagram. The time of release, Season 2 of Lock and Key is available on Netflix now. Production tracks provided by Power Man 5000. Till next time, it is the Boo Crew saying sweet screams.
0: Thanks for listening to another episode of the Boo Crew Podcast. Haunt the Boo Crew at TalesFromTheBooCrew.com. Tales from the Boo Crew on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at TalesFromTheBoo. The Boo Crew is... The Bloody Disgusting Podcast Network. Home of the Boo Crew. For horror-centric interviews. SCP archives. Weekly full-cast storytelling. Horror queers. Genre commentary from an LGBTQ perspective. And creepy. For disturbing and terrifying creepypastas. Listen free wherever you stream audio and at bloodydisgusting.com slash podcasts.